filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster We are two mariners, a ship's sole survivors in this belly of a Do you guys like uh, going to soccer games? Its ribs are ceiling beams. Yes. Its guts are carpeting. Do you like uh, when you get there and maybe it took a while to get there and you finally settle in and the teams come out and all the circumstance that comes with before the start of a game happens. Uh, and then right as both teams finish their little high five line uh, in front of the referees and they all go to move away from each other and towards their little huddle right before kickoff. Uh, do you enjoy it when the lightning alarm goes off and there's a delay and that delay goes for five hours? Yeah, having never, ha- having never experienced that, I can only assume it is the ideal situation. Uh, it isn't. Um, it's less, it's less good than you think. Um, you made it, you survived. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mind is still kind of gone. Um, everyone <laughs> least, at the end of that was. At least you didn't experience body death. That's true. Uh, my, my, my corporeal self is fine. Um, what's going on between my ears might not be, um, there's an astral projection of you at the Maryland soccer plex, just lying prone at midfield right, right now. Just, just I, I would say just sitting in the press box still. <laughs> um, yeah, for for our listeners who don't don't know the uh, the spirit game had a five a little over five hour delay um, due to the storms yesterday. We're recording on Sunday, um, and the light the alarm at the soccer plex, the lightning alarm, um, went off maybe 20 seconds before the game would have kicked off. Uh, the players were just about to have their last little word as a group, and then they were going to take their positions, and that is when the alarm went off. Um, and uh, it kept being bad. The weather didn't get better at all, and eventually they were like, "Why don't like let's just everyone leave for a while, and we'll come back and try this thing again at 9 o'clock, um, which is also – the absolute latest that a game, a professional game can kick off there because there's a neighborhood curfew that says you have to be done by 11. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, they got the game in, which uh, in a way is a positive. It probably would have helped the spirit if the game had just been canceled because they were bad on the day, but uh, it was played in a downpour. Um, <laughs> and there were like 150 people that actually came back. Um, there had been a good crowd uh, for the real kickoff time, but um most of those people did not want to wait around for wait around Germantown for five hours, uh, like we did at Panera with the referees. Um, <laughs> the the pre- Spirit Press Corps and the referees went to Panera. Um, apparently, the Lifetime announcers went to Mirancho, uh, the Mexican re- uh, restaurant across the, or up the street, I should say. Um, yeah, it was it was that kind of day. Uh, it was. Were there better. any other options in? Oh, there are tons. There actually, there are a ton of places to go because it's full of chain restaurants. Um, But is there anywhere good? uh, Mirancho is pretty good. Um, If you've got time for a sit-down meal and and you're not prioritizing like 
can I charge my uh, various gadgets that I need to cover this game, then uh, yeah, uh, that's a pretty good option. Um, there's a Roy Rogers uh, and that's not in New Jersey on the Turnpike, which is a strange site. Um, mm. Yeah, um, it was a uh, it was a weird one. Um, You're not giving me a good impression of Germantown. I mean, if you enjoy a lot of different uh, national chains of all different kinds, then I, I, uh, I do not. Well. I mean, then if you go to Germantown, you're going to have to get used to seeing a lot of national chains of all different kinds. Maybe I'll um, go to Germantown. There are a lot of strip malls, and um, uh, they are full of uh, brands that you know and uh, may have negative feelings about. Or, you know, neutral feelings. Um, in a lot of cases, there's neutral feelings. But, yeah, they're all the brands that, that you could think of. They're all sitting around there. Um I think the um, Spirit Squadron went to the Green Turtle, uh, which is down a different road. Um, yeah, uh, it's what you do when you have suddenly unplanned five hours to kill um, before you go back and just be rained upon for a while. I've killed time at the Green Turtle in Chinatown that's built into the Capital One Arena. But mm-hmm. that I, I knew it was a chain, but I've never... Yes seen one elsewhere i've never been to any other oh, there's ones. a bunch of them out in maryland they're all over the yeah. place yeah i knew it was a maryland thing it's a it's a adequate bar it's on a national chain so that's maybe right. part of why it's a little more adequate hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the dc united and game delay at large chain restaurant podcast i guess i'm adam taylor joined as always by what's left of jason anderson and ben bromley uh, we're There's all from Black. That's that's fair. Uh, we're all from Black and Red United dot com, where we cover DC United, and that's what we're talking about tonight. We don't have a game to break down because DC United was on one of their many early season bye weeks this past weekend, but it's a double game week coming up for them. They have an Open Cup date with North Carolina FC. You might know them better as the North Carolina Railhawks. Um, they'll be playing at the Maryland Soccerplex Tuesday night. So get up there for that one if you can. And then over the weekend, next Saturday, they will be in Seattle to play the Sounders. We'll talk about those in a minute before we do, though. Ben, what are you drinking? Since I am but a husk of a man right now, and I would have fallen asleep probably an hour ago, uh, I'm drinking some cold coffee. That's all. Okay. I hope it gets you exactly through the show so that you can pass the F out. Oh, I'll probably have to self-medicate to go to sleep after this, but that's (laughs) my life right now. I feel that feel. Uh, I managed to take it it as easy as possible this afternoon. Uh, Built my daughter's first Lego set, uh, which was, you know, very fun and low key. Not her job? I mean, we built it together. I didn't build it. I helped her build it. And then we played with it. Uh, And then she tore it apart and threw it back in the box, which dismayed me because it was it was a a Batman and Joker uh, set with a couple of vehicles and uh, a a launch pad slash jail um, Batcave thing. And she didn't want to keep it together so she could just play with it next time. She tore it apart um, to put it in the box. I said, okay. We'll build it again. It'll be fun. Um, but I'm drinking a, a beer tonight. I'm drinking Three Stars Brewing Ghost White IPA, which I've had on the show a few times. Jason, I know you've had it as well. It's a it's a nice beer. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. What are you uh, drinking? 
Uh, I finally got went out and uh, got beers. Um, I was actually supposed to go to a uh, cookout today uh, in the area, which was a complete rain out. And so the beers that I had gotten uh, were just here. So now they're my beers instead of gift beers. So I have a uh, uh, birdhouse pale ale from uh, the Brewers Art, which I've had a few times on the show. I haven't had it in a while though. Um, but it's a it's just a really uh, really excellent example of that form. Um, it's not too hoppy. Uh, it's got uh, a pretty well rounded profile. It's nothing. It doesn't do anything like you know. There's there's no like spikes of one flavor or another. It's just. Um, a pretty good example of what you'd want if you just want a, a American pale ale. I'm opening it now. <laughs> this is the kind of live drinking you, you can't get anywhere else. Uh, something else you can't get anywhere else is our, uh, our, our Patreon feed filibuster or patreon.com slash filibuster. We had, we, we got a reunion of the capital soccer show together last week greg roach and sebastian salazar joined me to talk about gambling and mls uh the supreme court recently struck down a federal ban on 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 sports gambling and now states are allowed to allow it it used to be basically just nevada now anywhere if they choose to can allow it and we broke down how betting works in the soccer world some uh, integrity issues and uh went through some you know, some other ramifications, including revenue for the leagues. Um, and we, we talked about this recent slate of games over the weekend and some of our picks uh, with the various betting lines and how that can influence your thinking. And it, it was a lot of fun. It was a really good conversation. I encourage anyone who's donated uh, at the, the $5 a month level or more uh, to, to check that out because that's what you're, that's one of the things you're paying for. And if you haven't, please consider donating because we um, we have more content along those lines uh, coming down the pike uh, in in some form or another, and it'll only be available for patrons. So with that, let's get Neil on the line. The fourth round of America's oldest running knockout tournament is upon us, and that means MLS teams are entering the Open Cup fray at long last in 2018. DC United will meet North Carolina FC for the first time ever Tuesday night up at the Maryland Soccerplex. And to help us preview, we've got Neil Morris of WRAL Sports Fan and the Inverted Triangle Podcast. Neil, welcome to Filibuster. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, we have a little tradition here. Our first question is always, what are you drinking? Yeah, I'm going to be incredibly boring on that. Uh, what I am drinking is about as exotic as I get on a Sunday night, which is Arizona Tea's uh, Arnold Palmer Half Lemonade Half Tea, which I buy by the jug full. I like it. Uh, that That's actually the second week in a row, then, that Arnold Palmer has made it onto this podcast. So, Are you kidding? Well, was it in regards to the drink or the golfer last time? It was the drink. There was vodka involved, but it was the drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that's a good idea. <laughs> maybe we should maybe we should start this segment over and let me try that part of it. <laughs> uh, we will not judge you, whatever you choose. Uh, let, let's talk about NCFC. MLS watchers will recognize some of the names on the roster down there: Michael Harrington, uh, Kyle Becker, and uh, ex DC United players T. Shipolani and Austin Deleuze. Um, 
outside of that group, who should, or even including that group, who should people who aren't familiar with NCFC be be looking at on the field come Tuesday? Well, uh, I'll rattle off a few names, but I'm going to have one brief caveat at the top that it's it's a, it's going to be a little bit of a different uh, a different outlook for for North Carolina than than in years past. Uh, at this point, if they're lucky enough to have made it to the as as I call it the MLS round of the Open Cup, um, you know they they this is the first time that they've gone on the road to play an MLS team in Open Cup competition since I think 20, uh, 2013 against Real Salt Lake uh, in the quarterfinal round. So it's it's been a even though they've played several against uh, MLS competition since then. So it's. It's a little bit of a new thing, and North Carolina is going to be coming off of a, a, a tough match uh, last Saturday uh, against Bethlehem Steel, a game where they they led until the 80th minute and then gave up two late goals to to come away with a defeat, very a crushing defeat uh, for a team that was needing to climb out of the basement. Uh, and the team's had a few injuries lately uh, to a couple of key players. So, I mean, that that's a long disclaimer to say that I, it's going to be interesting to see what Colin Clark decides to do with squad rotation. He usually uh, prioritizes Open Cup competition even over league competition. Uh, but with 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 the schedule with the game being moved up a day, with another team coming in on Saturday uh, in FC Cincinnati. I'm a little less sure of what Clark's rotation is going to be this year uh, and, and what he's going to do. Now, so that being said, um, I, I think the, 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 assuming that there's going to be a fair amount of rotation, I think the players that if he plays anywhere close to a full-strength squad and doesn't just throw out subs to just run out the, the side, I, I think the, the the players that are that – are, Need to be sort of watched the most. One is one is Kyle Becker, uh, who, who had a great season with San Francisco last year in, in the SL Championship season. Uh, former MLS player up in Canada, um, and he's sort of you know sort of a captain in the middle of the park. Uh, he had a a really good game uh, in the in the last round of Open Cup competition, and he's kind of sort of the steady Eddie in the middle of the park. Uh, not not. Uh, a, a really great goal scorer, nor does he look to be, but he's he's sort of a, the distributor uh, and the go the, the go between the conduit in the middle of the park. So I think Becker is someone that MLS uh, some MLS observers will remember, and someone who who might get a, a run out on uh, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, the other is you know, and it's a little tricky to kind of determine who the forwards may be. Um, there's three forwards. Uh, Colin Clark. The team runs much better in a four-four-two. I mean, I, I could go through st- the statistics with you, but it's it's been a, a raging point of emphasis amongst the fans about how much more fe- efficient and effective uh, on both ends of the field this team is in a four-four-two versus a four-five-one. But Colin Clark is notorious, especially when he's sort of down a few men uh, on the road against higher competition of, of sending out a four five one. So I don't know how many forwards he's going to throw out and I don't know which ones. Daniel Rios is kind of the most, uh, he's, he's on a Brazilian striker on loan, uh, has been the most reliable scorer for the team this year. Um, uh, he, he played, uh, 80 minutes on Saturday. Uh, so 
you know, the, of the three forwards, all three of them played Saturday. The one that played the least was uh, Marios Lomas, who is a, a Dutch import who played uh, college ball at Creighton last year, I believe. So he's in his first year of pro ball and is kind of finding his form a little bit, kind of a, a tall, rangy uh, uh, striker. Um, but in Loomis and, and Rios, whoever ends up being up top, presuming it's a 4-5-1, uh, it's probably someone else that, that observers should probably keep their eye on. Uh, hi, Neil. I, w- I want to get a little more into uh, Daniel Rios. It, it's not often you see uh, someone on loan from uh, from Chivas to a USL team uh, or any uh, Division II U.S. soccer uh, team. So uh, how has he looked so far this year, and what's what's his situation with his parent club? Well, I, you know, he's kind of been on loan for a while. Uh, he's not that old of a player. Uh, I, you know, as far as how the, how he's looked upon back home, I I don't think I can help out very much. You know, he's he's he's, a, he's tall, but has a little bit of pace for a tall striker, um, which makes him uh, effective in and around the box. Uh, like most of the forwards on this squad or in a Colin Clark system, I think that he works better with, with someone playing off of him again with a two striker set. Um, he's, but he's, again, he's been the most reliable goal scorer. Uh, he probably could be a little more efficient in front of goal. That's been a bit of of, of a problem. Uh, and again, when he's just called upon to be the solo target, man, his, his, his effectiveness goes down quite a bit, but, um, he's got a nose for goal. Uh, he's he's good in the air because he's got a little height to him, but he's also more mobile than you would think he would be. Um, and and his touch is not the worst. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, as far as being someone who looks to be having a great promising future uh, with a team like Chivas, I wouldn't go so far as as to say that. Um, but you know, NCFC benefited last year from another Brazilian. It wasn't from Chivas; it was from elsewhere. But they had another Brazilian loanee, Reynon Gornan, uh, who led the team in goals last year, and he re- he returned back home this year, and they brought in in Rios uh, again with a good pedigree, uh, and and he's 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 done what he should have done. I mean, he's the he's the primary goal scorer on the team. Uh, uh, but it, yeah, but it's a little different. You know, we think of our Brazilian strikers as sort of short, quick, and, and fast, and, and he's a bit different from that mold. He's uh, he, he's he's got much more of a, a wider, a larger frame than that. Uh, but I think that's I think that kind of player works well in USL against competition that maybe physically is not always uh, up to that level when you're trying to combat uh, strikers with a little muscle to them. And then uh, my other question is, uh, speaking of Colin Clark, uh, us old-timers uh, here in Richmond remember him uh, as the previous head coach of the Richmond Kickers, even though that was uh, almost 20 years ago now, uh, as the previous head coach to Lee Kalashaw. Uh, he's been uh, with uh, the Railhawks and with NCFC for, uh, I think, seven going on eight years now, and uh, uh how is he viewed in the uh, North Carolina market, and uh, how secure is he in his uh, position there? <laughs> we could spend the rest of the segment on that. Um, <laughs> it's it's complicated. Um, so let me sort of take it in turn. How is he viewed? You know, 
you know, for the purposes of our discussion, the one good thing is that Clark, like Clark, Clark has always not only prioritized prioritized sort of cup slash Champions League competition, going back to when he was coaching Puerto Rico, but he's always seemed to bring out the best in his players. You know, he's not one of these lower division managers who are going to say, it's great to be here, let's get a few games and show out and let's get back to league play. Uh, again, we remember the Railhawks, you know, they they made the quarterfinals of the Open Cup two straight years in 2013-2014. Everybody still talks about the three straight wins against the Galaxy uh, and a couple of wins against Chivas USA. So, you know, the, Clark always seems to bring out the best in his players when it comes to Open Cup competition. He's never just going to throw it away. Um, and that that in the even in the in the long in the in the absence of a league championship and in a long absence of of playoff of postseason appearances, which uh, the 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 Railhawks appeared in the in the playoffs in 2012 and didn't return until last year. Uh, so I think Open Cup competition and success has has bought Clark a lot of goodwill over the years now. Uh, but a lot of that is eroding away amongst not just diehards, but some of the casual fans. I think people are sort of weary of of just being in the bottom half of the of the table year to year. Even though the even though NCSC finished third in the NESL last year and made the playoffs. It's always a struggle. The year before that, they finished eighth. Um, There's a lot of sort of uh, exasperation amongst the fans with what seems to be interpreted as a a reluctance on on Clark's part to sort of uh, shift tactics. I talked about the 4-4-2 versus 4-5-1. I mean, that's that's become a flashpoint with the fans. And I agree. It's it's as plain on the nose of your face that this team is more effective in a 4-4-2 than a 4-5-1. But you know, last last Saturday against Bethlehem Steel, uh, North Carolina rolls out in a 4-4-2 and they carry a 1-0 lead to the 83rd minute. He takes off the second striker in the 80th and they give up two goals in six minutes. Uh, and then after the game, Clark is expressing frustration with his team with not maintaining their defensive shape. And I'm like, well, who changed the shape? So that's kind of where it's gotten. And the, the fan base is sort of at a at a point of a, a large segment would like to see it, would very much like to see a change in manager. And the other half is saying, Let's, we, we're here to support the team. Uh, there's very few that are sort of saying, you know, Clark is great, and let's keep Clark, despite his, his long, long history of of soccer going, you know, not just back to Richmond, but when he was playing top division in England during his playing days. Right. Now, the last part of your question was, what are his chances of, of that he's going to stick around, uh, certainly through the end of the season, and I would put it at about 95%. Um, mainly because, since you made that, that Richmond reference, you know, you probably recall who his president and general manager was, who brought him to, to Richmond to strike start with. Mm-hmm. It was Kurt Johnson, uh, who is the president and general manager of NCFC, and Kurt and Colin are tight, and and they and they they have a very good working relationship on and off the field, not just you know looking at the results on the field, but everything else that Clark does in the, the wider NCFC community. Which is a lot of what uh, Kurt Johnson prioritizes, and uh, 
you know, especially while they're still paying Clark under contract, I don't see any change happening. Uh, and the only one who would facilitate that is the owner, Steve Malik. And the sense I get from him as recently as a week or two ago is that there's no appetite for it. So I, I think I don't see a change happening. And normally I would say unless the bottom falls out, but I don't even think that something will happen then. Uh, Neil, I mean, we're talking about a, a team that is obviously not, not doing uh, what was expected. You know, they're, sitting in 12th place, I believe, uh, in the USL's Eastern Conference. Um, what's what's gone wrong beside the, besides the formation issue? What, what's going wrong? Yeah. Well, and this is where I'll shift to kind of giving some, some folks a break. Uh, there, you know, the team, the team shift, there's several answers to this. Uh, it kind of starts, I think, with the shift from NESL to USL, not in regards to quality of competition, which I actually don't, think is on a on on a whole on an average i don't think usl is is tougher than the competition that they they saw night in and night out in nesl last year that's not a knock on usl it's just it's a bigger league with a, a wider dispersal of talent um but with the shift from nesl to usl uh, all the player contracts were were null and void uh but by operation of, of contracts so you know, any players that they either wanted to keep or held an option on, those were done. So they had to go back and renegotiate. Uh, and some players just didn't stick around. Uh, they had the, the, probably their two of their best players last year, uh, Nazmi Abadawi and Brian Silvestri, uh, midfielder and goalkeeper, both both left. as most, They were going to be out of contract, and I think most people expected them to leave no matter what. Uh, and they did. Abadawi d- took took a big leak to Cincinnati, and that's where he is. Uh, Silvestri uh, signed a deal with the Galaxy, and he's he's over there doing something. So um, they lost the standout goalkeeper, they lost their best player, and then they lost a bunch of key guys or at least key role players that they might have wanted to keep uh, who, who went on to other, other places. They did manage to keep a few players, uh, like Stephen Miller, um, and, of course, Austin Deleuze is still around. Connor Tobin uh, is one of sort of a longtime center back who is still uh, with the team, although he's been out for most of the season uh, nursing a, a, a calf injury. He's just gotten back into play. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, you just got a bunch of new guys. Uh, and then compounding the problem is whereas a lot of teams that move from league to league maybe, you know, maybe open the purse strings. Uh, a little bit to try to bring in players to compensate for that. Uh, NCFC's budget was not that way. Uh, they, they tightened it up a little bit for various reasons. So not only were you having to sort of, you know, completely overhaul the roster in large part, uh, but the resources were tight on being able to recruit uh, talent to come here. Not that they weren't able to get some, some solid players, uh, but even when you do that, you've still got to learn each other. It's a it's a whole new group, uh, having to learn in some cases a new system. And so, I think when you combine all of those elements, um, that's why it's been sort of sort of tough sledding. It appeared that they they were kind of turning the corner. They had gotten some a, a series of positive results. And they they banked on Saturday being another uh, and being the second of a four game homestand. Uh, 
uh, in league competition. Uh, but that 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 bang bang loss uh, Saturday night, I think, sort of set back a lot of things. Um, it, looking over the the roster, you you've mentioned a lot of the players on the team. One of them was uh, Austin Deleuze, and he's not the only uh, former DC United player uh, on the team. Uh, Ty Shipolane, uh is is I, I believe return had was not with the team, but then came back uh, just recently and. Uh, Pebo Duey was in uh, DC United's academy. Can you tell us a little bit about how they're, those three are doing? Uh, well, okay. So Austin, uh, well, I mean, Austin's sort of the the face of the team now, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, I won't go sort of the whole history of Austin here, but, you know, he played one year here when he started and then took a, as, as players are apt to do, when Orlando was on the cusp of going to MLS the year before he decided to travel to Orlando and take one last shot at going back to MLS. I don't think he enjoyed it there, and he was, you know, he ultimately returned to Carolina before the end of the season, and has been here ever since. Austin, Austin is a dynamo. I mean, is is he the most talented player in the world? No, but he's 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 crafty. He's he's still a, a great contributor. He, he's a left footer, which is always a premium. Um, and but but it's almost you know it's almost gotten to where he's is, is important. Uh, off the field, you know, he's sort of this initiative playing for pride, which has grown into this huge thing uh, of of, contri- con- of players contributing money uh, towards uh, LGBTQ rights. I mean, that started with him last year, and it has now ballooned into this this giant effort. Uh, that was him, uh, and and I give Austin a lot of credit for being. Uh, you know, there's a lot of folks who go around and do a lot of uh, important community work, but but Austin, you know, he kind of puts his his money and his time where his mouth is, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, Pebo Due, I've actually amongst the new the newcomers of the team, I've been quite impressed with him. He's uh, a rangy left back who loves to push forward, which is you know that's my kind of guy, uh, and he he is. He's scored a goal, and he has had a. He's very good at getting the ball off the wing uh, on crosses. He's he's uh, very valuable in attack, and I actually think of amongst all the the, the problems that I've discussed, I think uh, Dewey's contribution uh, in the attack uh, has been one of the welcome spots of the team. I think he's done very well. Uh, T. Shibalani. Yeah, people laugh because they know that I'm a I'm a I'm a hopeless romantic when it comes to T. Um, I think he's the most important player, or or at least definitely the second most important player in the club's history. Um, he's one of the few that you know people through the years will will pay to go see. He's given always given people their their money's worth, and he's won a lot of games through a lot of goals over the years. Um, I'm a big T fan. Now, that being said, he's, I think, 31 or 32 years old. He's lost a step. His fitness is not what it once was. I think that's a big – that's part of the reason he wasn't with the team at the start of the season. He's been, he's been brought back for a variety of reasons, uh, probably the club having to come to a decision to bring him back and him having to, to make a sacrifice as far as or his pay, considering what he was making the last couple of years, which was substantially more – uh, than that, uh, is he the contributor he once was? No, uh, can you know? Is he sort of the the flashy step over artist that he used to be? Who could take anybody off the dribble? No, probably not. Uh, 
but I think I would like to see him sort of get back into shape because I think especially with some of the injuries that this team has had, he's he's a guy who could be a welcome addition. Uh, but he's coming off the bench now. Now, m- might he get a start just based on sheer squad rotation Tuesday? Maybe. I certainly expect to see him on the field. Uh, and I'd like to see him sort of get back into the flow of things. Um, but, you know, that the, the jury's out on that. NCFC made the jump this year from NASL, which is on hiatus, to the USL, staying in Division Two. I'm I'm curious your thoughts and the the general perception about the switch down in the triangle. Uh, it could probably best be summarized, uh, and this is not meant to be glib. I think it's meant to be practical. Of hey, we're playing soccer. I mean, I think that's the the, the feeling uh, amongst the fan base. You know, there was, there's a lot. There's a large segment of the fan base that sort of bought into this notion of, hey, it would be great to play, you know, regional rivals, Charlotte, Richmond, Charles, Charleston. I think there's a lot of fans who kind of dig that. Uh, for me, you know, I, I I don't have I don't have sort of a dog in the fight of NESL versus USL from a competition point of view. I felt like that there would be from a casual fan base point of view, and I think it's been partially borne out. That there is sort of a, a difference between playing a team from Richmond and Harrisburg City and you know Charleston versus a team. You know, I'm not not giving the name of the team. It doesn't really matter. But a team from New York or San Francisco or uh, you know some other or 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 Tampa, even though Tampa's back in the league now. You know, I, th- I think there's just a difference from sort of a perception and a cachet point of view uh, when you're talking about bringing in the casual fans who are looking at sort of what's your competition level. Uh, I've said that before, and, and I think uh, I think I'm partly being borne out now. But uh, the alternative, as you sort of alluded to, is a league that's at best on hiatus. And the, the, the attitude amongst the fans, and I think this is where the, where the bottom line lies, uh, is Steve Malik, the owner of the team, made the decisions he needed to make in order to keep his team on the field in second division. And that's what he did. Uh, in CFC, like Indy 11, uh, made the, the switch from NASL to USL, and they are playing this year. Uh, I, I have a lot of uh, empathy for the fan bases that that whose teams are are not playing, or at least not playing a full professional schedule this year. Uh, but as as far as the the diehards here, their position is, hey, our team is on the field playing D two. We also have <laughs> the best team in the NWSL in the NC Courage, uh, and our owner has done that, and so we're. we're Regardless of what we think about sort of the the vagaries of USL versus NESL last year, the bottom line and the practical bottom line is what is the alternative if we weren't doing this? Well, we all know what that is. Uh, one other thing I'm I'm curious about is the the recent rebrand. Up until 2016, uh, I said it at the top that the team was the Carolina Railhawks, one of the the unique names in American soccer. And they, they switched to a very slick professional brand that is nevertheless a little bit more vanilla with North Carolina FC. How, how did that go over down there? Man, 
that's about as complicated and, and, and varied as the Colin Clark uh, discussion. You know, I think in general, people kind of are in agreement with my position. And, and you know, I think in general, I think it's important to note, I, you know, I, I came to soccer as a reporter, not as a fan. I, I never watched the sport before I started covering it. Uh, and I started covering the Railhawks. So I had no affinity for the local brand. I, I dug it. I liked sort of the history of having covered that team. And I wrote a long article when the when the nickname went away about, you know, sort of my my, my epitaph to or my 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 uh, uh salute <laughs> to the mm-hmm. to the everlasting question of what is a railhawk. Um <laughs> Uh, and my conclusion of the article was it was a soccer team. That's what it was. Um, but I never harbored any hard feelings about the switch. I understand why a switch was made. Um, whether North Carolina FC was the right moniker is, is subject to debate. Uh, but clearly what they were looking for was twofold. They were looking for a name that was portable to MLS since it mm-hmm. came on at the same time as the MLA application, because they felt, probably rightly so, that how, no matter how unique Railhawks was, that wasn't going to fly with MLS. And they were looking for for a more general marketing brand, because at the same time they were also uh, sort of uh, merging two of the largest youth soccer organizations in the area under the NC soccer professional soccer umbrella from a, a sponsorship point of view without getting too detailed. So now that organization as a whole, which used to be called Castle, and there was another organization that MERD is now referred to as NCFC Youth. Uh, and they probably felt like sort of that that bland marketing platform was more geared towards be, being able to apply that not just to this youth effort but other efforts instead of trying to shoehorn railhawks into everything. So it was clearly a marketing decision. Um, I have no heartburn about it. Um, the but there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of smart people who I like who have been long term, long time fans of the team who just don't they can't get over it and they don't like it and they they think that it sort of just drained away the identity of of the team. And I don't take exception with that. I get what they're saying. Um, I mean, heck, it's taken almost two years of kind of bumbling around for for the for the for the team or the supporters, I should say, to kind of coalesce around a, a nickname for the team. It's all been NCFC, North Carolina FC. Uh, and what is and, the nickname and, now? Well, I, I don't think you know. It's not universally accepted, but it, but the uh, the name Dead Whales uh, has been widely gathering some acceptance, including by me, which, you know, some of the early stuff that was being floated around, I just didn't like at all. Um, but Dead Whales is one that has been sort of taking root. And there's a backstory, which is why I like it. And I can share that with you if you don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know why you would call a team in uh, <laughs> a landlocked portion of North Carolina the Dead Whales. You're going to love this. Uh, because... And I did not know this until last year. There, there were some articles or some information that floated out online last year that apparently the site of Wake Med Soccer Park, before it was a soccer stadium, once upon a time was used as a sort of a, a facility 
by the uh, by the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences, where they would take whale bones and other large mammal, and they would bury the bones under the soil with manure or whatever, which helped sort of bleach the bones so that they could be more easily preserved. So they would bury them, and then after they were bleached or, or whatever the process was, they would dig the bones up, and then they would be more suitable for preparation and display. Um, wow. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and everybody was blown away by this revelation. I'm like, holy yes. cow. So it was like, so initially we all thought that there were actual whales buried under the ground. So it was like, this is a whale graveyard here. It's like, no, 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 that's not actually the way it worked, but they were buried there. And then they were, so the supporters group, uh, which were, you know, again, desperately trying to find something that made sense, sort of, some of them really latched onto that. And I kind of dug it. I mean, it's kind of quirky. It's kind of interesting. You know, some of them renamed the supporters section, the boneyard and, uh, come on, you dead whales, and, and all of that. And so, you know, it, it, it makes it makes a whole lot more sense than when you when you first hear it. So, um, I don't mind it. Uh, I think it's okay if you if it's not going to be railhawks. Um, then I, I think dead whales is there. At least there is a instead of just something that's sort of forced upon. There's actually a story there, which is you know, if you're a reporter, that's all you want. But um, but as far getting back to the the, the rebrand, <laughs> um, the yeah yeah I mean, are there people who don't like it? Yeah, but you know it is what it is, and it's it's here to stay, and it's not going anywhere. I will say I like dead whales, and I Jason, I hope you use it in whatever write ups you you do uh, previewing in after this game. <laughs> You're already <laughs> you already have it in a draft. <laughs> I've used it a couple of times. Um, now, you know, if the team really goes on a bad losing streak, there's not a whole lot of daylight between dead whales and beached whales. So there's, uh, that's one potential, uh, usage on the, on the horizon. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I think I'm going to, uh, considering some of the alternatives that I didn't particularly care for before that, then I, I think this one works pretty well. Well, Neil, thanks for coming on the show. I think I, I, I don't have a better way to end the segment than <laughs> dead whales. Dead whales uh, so and, I, and, and bleached bones, yes. Yeah, so so I think we'll leave it here. Tell our listeners where they can find you online. Uh, find me, my content, as you said, at WRELsportsfan.com. And if you if you dare, you can follow me on Twitter at by Neil Morris. That's N-E-I-L Morris uh, on Twitter. All right, y'all stick around. We will be right back to preview DC United's weekend matchup with the Seattle Sounders. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office.
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. After DC United faces and hopefully dispatches North Carolina FC in the U.S. Open Cup, they'll hop a plane to the other Washington for a league visit to what is a struggling Seattle Sounders team. Dave Clark won, runs one of the biggest and bestest American soccer sites there is, Sounder at Heart, uh, our sister site on SB Nation, and he's here back on the podcast to talk about this game with us. Dave, welcome back. Thanks for having me again, guys. Uh, you know the drill here. I, I know you're walking your dog at the moment, but what are you drinking? Uh, the last beverage was an Original Sin Dry Rosé Cider. They're out of New York, and uh, they do some funky stuff with the grape skins during the uh, cidering process. And it does taste like a Dry Rosé wine, but it's a sparkling cider. Interesting. I'm intrigued. Uh, I... I'm curious about your Sounders, though. How did they go from how did they go from back to back MLS Cup finalists, winning one of them, uh, to scoring seven goals and having eight points from eleven games this year? You made me feel better because they scored seven goals. I've been looking at the last five games when they've only scored two. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, a little bit of, of it is. I mean, you can see it a little bit in what happened with Toronto. The they basically no off season two years in a row, and guys are breaking down. Um, that's true for both the teams. I mean, it's not like Toronto's off to a great start. Uh, obviously, Seattle is suffering even more. So injuries are a pretty damn big deal, particularly with the loss of Jordan Morris in mm-hmm. the first couple minutes of the Concacaf Champions League. And you lose Jordan Morris, they've. I could let go over the entire injury list, but it'd basically be like the 26 best players, not named Chad Marshall or Stephen Fry. Although I think Stephen Fry even didn't think he missed one start this year so far. It's, it's a long injury list. And while that's not an excuse, they do have an open roster spot. They have the ability to add a designated player and even a, one requiring targeted allocation money. They have the the salary cap space, they have the allocation money, they can do that. Gross Lauderway has chosen to wait. And uh, while he waits, the team loses. Their window is closed. There's no help in sight. They signed Felix Kinkum from S2, a forward with uh, four goals down in the USL. And then uh, he didn't make, he made the 18 in his first game, but didn't make the field. Didn't make the 18 in his second eligible game and didn't play for S2 either. So, um, the offense is bad. It's really, really bad. And they're not doing things to fix it. And there are no easy solutions. 
uh, looking forward to the match against you guys, there are a few solutions. Uh, Victor Rodriguez got his first minutes since late last season and looked pretty good, and he will be getting back into match fitness. Nicolas Ladero did not make the Uruguay national team World Cup roster, so he's coming back to Seattle healthy. And um, as you guys know around MLS, Nico Ladero is a very good player. Um, he isn't. He can carry a team. He does things, whether he's a deep-line playmaker, a winger, or, or central attacking midfielder, he can change the game. So getting him back is going to be huge. But Will Bruin also had to leave the game. The most recent loss, Will Bruin left injured after they took they returned him from play early, uh, had him try to play through an injury that supposedly he could get 45 minutes on. He insisted to continue and then had to leave in the 74th minute. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, you know, they're taking two steps forward and one step back, which is better than what they normally do, which is one step forward and two steps back. So it's, a, it's an improvement. Um, if they're going to improve, it's going to have to be against D.C. United. And if Clint Dempsey is ever going to tie Freddie Montero for the Seattle Sounders MLS um, scoring record, it'll have to be soon because he's scoreless this year. And uh, he's approaching the realm of a shot fighter. And it's kind of weird to see because he used to be Captain America. Yeah, that, that, that was my question, uh, Dave. And uh, Sorry, I'm interrupting you, Adam. Um, did the Seattle Sounders just get super old with Clint Dempsey and Chad Marshall and Ozzy Alonso? I would say with Ozzy Alonso and Clint Dempsey, I'm absolutely certain they're both too old and they probably should have cut one of them this offseason. Um, they did renegotiate Clint's contract all the way down to $1.6 million, which Ooh. means that they can't make him a targeted allocation guy. And so really all they're doing is saving cash. doesn't change their cap hits cap scenario at all. Um, since I don't care about the money they spend, I don't know why they did it. Um, Ozzy, on the other hand, has not been healthy. He was only, he was finally listed as questionable, um, in this last game, but did not make the 18. And I don't think traveled. He might stay. He might've stayed in Seattle to try to get ready for this next game. He had a quad injury early in the season, got back, played a little bit and injured his other quad. And once a player is on that cycle, you can expect them to start to miss a lot of games. And that's where Ozzy Alonso is. It's his hamstrings, his quads, his knees, it's everything. And um, it's starting to get frustrating He's the designated player they could buy down in order to add a new DP. But hindsight being amazing, they probably should have just bought him out. You mentioned Garth Lagerway, and you, you're referencing a lot of his um, decision-making over the last year. It, he was a candidate um, for the U.S. soccer general manager's position. It sounds like he's not going to take it. It sounds like that's going to be Ernie Stewart from Philadelphia taking that job. I'm curious what his standing is among fans out there in Seattle. Cause I I've heard some anger directed at him over the last few weeks. Yeah. The type of people that go on the internet to use Twitter <laughs> or Facebook or a comment section are the type of people that want Garth out. 
and Brian Schmetzer out. Um, you know, it was only two years ago that they hired Brian Schmetzer as the head coach. He's been to back-to-back MLS Cup finals. Um, he rescued the season after uh, Siggy Schmidt basically went through just what Brian's going through right now. Um, I don't know. Continuing to do it in LA. Yeah, and Siggy's running into basically the same issue. He has a general manager who uh, makes decisions that have nothing to do with the players that he wants, um, which is kind of what Garth did here with Siggy. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of anger and, there, and there's a lot of people that are upset. And I don't know if the answer is to fire Garth or not. I don't know if the answer is to fire Smetzer or not. There has to be a change and they can't just be waiting for guys to get healthy because we don't really have that time. Seattle has two guys at the, uh, that will be away at the world cup. Gustav Svensson, who uh, is probably the best contract in all of MLS because he makes about $1.5 million, but the Sounders only pay him 300. Hundred thousand because uh, his team in China pays the rest. So that's a when you can get a high TAM player for three hundred grand, you're you're getting away with a lot. Um, great defensive midfielder, decent center back, horrible right back. That's kind of where they've used him. And then uh, Ramon Torres, who uh, thinks he's a forward, but it's a decent center back. Um, both are gone, and. Uh, it, it, cuts a lot of their depth in defense. The defense has actually been fine. Like if you look, whether it's advanced metrics or standard metrics, uh, Seattle's defense is top five in the league. And that's without Osvaldo Alonso or Ramon Torres or the aging Chad Marshall, who still looks wonderful. Uh, Stephen Fry, they, they don't know who their left back is because knew who and Waylon Francis basically trade starts. Um, Kelvin Leardham missed games. So they had to start Jordy McCrary. If you don't know who McCrary is, that's because he played for TFC two last year and he has something like a half dozen starts uh, for the Sounders this year. So yeah, they're, I mean, they're injured all over the place. Jordy DeLem has been a defensive midfielder and at center back so far this season. Uh, he's Martinique's best player. Um, if you haven't heard of Martinique, that's understandable. They're a French <laughs> colony. They're, they, they don't count in FIFA, although they do compete in the goal cap. Um, when when they qualify, which doesn't happen. Who was, what was the player who had the big controversy about playing, had previously playing for France and then playing for Martinique? Ooh, uh, that's one of the, like, really good Anelka? French players. Anelka? Uh, no, I don't think, Malud, Malud? Maluda. Yeah, Maluda, there we go. Yeah, yeah he tried to he tried to play for Martinique and they were like, no, you already played for France. And it's like, come on, it's a fake. It, it's not technically a country. Just let them play. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, so there's some decent depth talent and in defense, it's been fine, but I could list the, the attacking guys that have played like Alex Roldan and Anwala Buana who got injured. Um, Harry ship barely plays now. It looks like he's doing what happens to Harry Ship's career, where once he's around a coach long enough, he uh, he stops playing. You know, we saw it in Montreal, we saw it in Chicago. He basically has a downward trend everywhere he goes, and he's in that trend right now. He talks really bad. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's, it's, well, I want to. I, 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 I feel no rose. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm going to make you continue to be morose because I really want to concentrate in on uh, uh, Clinton Drew Dempsey and uh, more than just being too old. I mean, what what is what is up with Clint Dempsey and he, how has he not been able to transition into at least a uh, crafty old guy that he has been the past couple of years? Well, he doesn't have the energy to go past about 60, 65 minutes. But due to injuries, they've had to run him out 90 most games. He also doesn't have the fitness now to be the lone forward. And they did that to him twice due to no Jordan Morris and no Will Bruin for a while. Um, Clint's also a guy that re- – it's, it's interesting. For all of his dominance, he's at his best when he's around other guys pinging the ball around with uh, little flick-ons and through balls and all the skill moves. But he's around guys that, like, played for Seattle U last year and S2. And they're not going to be able to do that. Or Will Bruin, who, for all of Will Bruin's success in this league, and let's be honest, the guy has, like, 60 goals in MLS. He's been a pretty decent player. He's not the guy that's going to ping the ball around. Um, And... Clint's best with the guys like that. Maybe he's better when Nico Sladero is on the field. Maybe he's better when Christian Roldan's in an attacking position, which has happened a few times uh, back when Svensson was around. But that's about it until Victor Rodriguez got healthy. That's all that he had to kind of play off of. It was basically Clint Dempsey on an island with a bunch of guys hoping that he could, that Clint could do it by himself. And Clint could do it by himself when he was 25. He can't do it by himself now that he's 35 or 36. And that's typical. He's now a great – at his best now, he would be a great supporting player with other talent at his caliber around him. They just don't have it. Uh, Dave, I guess this that kind of gets at something that's been on my mind, and it's the – you know, I, I watched. I've watched Seattle play a couple times, and I come away wondering what the plan is. Because as much as it is a team that's lost so many attacking players, um, I also watched their their. You know, I, their the lineup they had against Real Salt Lake wasn't a Pablo Mastroeni, Colorado Rapids level uh, bereft of talent midfield and forward set, um, and they finished that game with five shot attempts and none on target. Um, and it kind of, it kind of felt like a summary of the season. What is, what is the, what is supposed to be happening that isn't, uh, regardless of the injury side of things? What is supposed to be happening is the, uh, the fullbacks are supposed to be getting forward with low cutback passes to advancing midfielders as the center forward get, creates space. But... What winds up happening is those attacking players who um, who was an S2 player uh, at the start of last year, he's only 20, he winds up just popping off crosses early despite every bit of instruction. Jordan McCrary is energetic but can't do that, is a traditional lofted ball kind of cross guy. He's not going to dribble into the area and cut something back to – the penalty spot. So they have to run it through Kelvin Leardham and he can only, you can have one fullback 
run an offense uh, well, but not for very long. And so that's the ideal. Um, it's really fun when it works. But watching watching them go through their patterns in training, you see what it's supposed to be, and then it's just not happening in the field. And that's frustrating because you know what the coaches want, and then you don't see it. And yet, in some cases, they're young players, but in other cases, it's uh, old guys falling into 10-year habits. It, you know, I, I look at some of the teams that, that have managed to shut Seattle out um, over the course of the season. It seems like kind of a – it's not like there's a specific profile of a team. You say, oh, that's the kind of team they struggle against, or you say, oh, against the really good teams, they can't get it done. Um, you know, it's back-to-back shutouts against RSL. They're, <laughs> they've been shut out against LAFC a couple times. Um, uh I'm looking. Where was the other one? Uh, I mean, at or versus Montreal at home, which uh, is, I believe, Montreal's only shutout. Might even be the only time they've held someone to um, uh, less than two goals. Um, What is there any theme that you've seen from Seattle's opponents in succeeding against them, or is it more the combination of injuries and just not being able to take the training field onto uh, the field for games? It's really about Seattle defeating itself, uh, except for the first game against L.A., mm. uh, that season opener. They they pounded that goal. Mm. I, I think Tyler Miller, it was seven or nine saves that Tyler Miller had, uh, something like 21 shots overall. It was a really strong performance by an attack that just didn't complete. And that might have actually been true for much of March. Mm-hmm. The problem was they didn't really get any goals. And they kept not getting goals, whether the team, you know, as we've seen from LAFC, they're a team that likes to run and gun. They prefer to win a 4-3 game or lose four, lose 3-4. That's their style of play at this point. RSL, up until they faced Seattle twice and then Houston, was a garbage team. Mm-hmm. And Seattle helped make them look very good. You know, they were giving up something like three and a third goals per game on the road and then came to Seattle and shut Seattle out. When we look at it like that, um, it's it's not about you're right. It's not about the quality of the opponent. It's it's about execution. It's about a, it's about the players failing each other. Um, you'll find a few moments where their passing is one foot off, mm-hmm. and they do that quite a bit. And they can be in and around the area. I don't know if you guys pay attention to the uh, the five thirty eight expected goals metric they have one they use that is called oh it's something silly like non-shot expected goals Mm. and after every game except for the most recent one Seattle tends to make that metric because they can actually pass it around the attacking half really well it's it's in like I don't even call it the final third it's like the final 20 yards Mm. where they fail and it, it is a failure of execution. It's a failure of coaching. It, it, I think I, I think there is the phrase I use said no member of the front office, no member of the coaching staff, no member of the training staff, and few of the players are blameless for this run of play right now. Um, wherever you want to point the finger, as long as it doesn't include Stephen Fry, Chad Marshall, or Christian Roldan, they're probably guilty. 
Uh, I guess to, to brighten, brighten the mood a little bit. Are you guys really excited? Because you're probably going to get a win in Seattle. It's not going to be that weird 4-3 thing that happened last year. Oh, it probably will be. Yeah, we don't, we don't <laughs> want to count anything. We've, we've, we're in the very early stages of maybe turning around and becoming not bad. Um, so we're not ready to count any eggs yet. Um, I've been researching but, year 2013 at this point. I, I, Tuesday I might write something like, it's time to win the Open Cup because nothing else matters. Well, at least 2013 was better than 2010. Uh, Personally, yeah. I like 2013 better because there was a trophy, and so I yeah. would like to model Seattle's hope off of something along those lines. Um, let, let me give you, uh, I mean, maybe it, this might end up taking a darker turn, but um, is there anyone on the team right now that you're – I mean, you've said the defense is doing well. Are there any individual players where you look at him and say, this is someone I'm satisfied with? I think this guy's doing fine. Chad Marshall's fine. Uh, Kim Keehee, who is mm-hmm. uh, South Korean fringe, fringe World Cup player. He's probably their 30th best talent. Uh, once he got healthy, learned a little bit of English and settled in over here, he's looked very good. He's a mobile center back that's about six foot four, a uh, little bit live can pass well, uh, extraordinary partner for Marshall, who uh, I I think if uh, when Torres gets back, he might not even be the starting center center back pairing with Marshall. Mm-hmm. Or they'll go to the 5-4-1, which uh, Seattle rolled out a 5-4-1 twice, and it actually looked good. They beat Toronto in Toronto 2-1 the last time they scored more than a goal. In fact, mm-hmm. it was only two – it's the, only the third time they scored, I think, in a game this season. Um, they might have to do that. But Kim Keehy is a, is a good, good center back. Kelvin Leardham is uh, is good when he doesn't slap people in the face like he did against FC Dallas. We mm-hmm. didn't cover that. But, like, the first three games of the season, Seattle played down a man in every single game. Uh, it was a Clint Dempsey nut tap. Um, mm-hmm. Tony Alfaro sliding tackle uh, with studs up and Kelvin Leardham slapping a guy in the face. Um, when I talk about players failing, it, it's stuff like that. Like Dempsey off ball, nut ta- like we've seen it before. This one might've been marginal, but if you're Clinton Dempsey and you have his history of uh, flying elbows and whatnot, you might be scrutinized a little bit tighter. The the slap that Kelvin Leardham made, um, was in like the 25th minute. So they got to play down to FC Dallas, a good team, Seattle, not a good team. And can't Seattle can't play 65 minutes down a man. Mm-hmm. They've had to do it multiple times. So that kind of ruined the, the start of the year. And I think that might've damaged the psyche. It's, it's been right. Yeah. No, it, so the, the same- Chad Marshall, all good. Uh, Christian rolled on. Doesn't matter where you put him. Uh, defensive midfield, right back, left back, uh, winger, attacking mid. Uh, he can do all of those roles. He's everything Brad Evans was at Brad Evans' best, except mm-hmm. more mobile and a better passer. Um, he's a uh, French U.S. national team talent, and is actually turned down the trip to Ireland and France in order to try to help the Sounders rescue their season. He would have gone there. He's just 22. He wears the captain's armband now. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, he's extraordinary. He's 
somebody who probably doesn't get looks from Europe just because not many European teams are going to be interested in a play everywhere, gritty, grinded out, decent kind of passer, tough guy. Um, so maybe he spends 10 years here in Seattle um, already wearing the captain's armband on a team with a lot of guys who've worn the armband before, whether it's Marshall, Stephen Fry that we talked about, Torres, Clint Dempsey used to be a captain until he ripped up a referee's notebook. Um, <laughs> Nicholas Ladero. Uh, now the armbands is, is rolled on. His brother's on the team uh, too, but shouldn't be listed among the good talents. <laughs> There's only one rolled on that matters. Yeah, if you were wearing... Won't be popular. If you were lining up against Brian Schmetzer's side this weekend, what would you focus your game plan on? I would... A lot of people like to high press against this team, but I don't think you need to do that. I think you almost need to press the second pass because that's where the worst players are going to be. Um, the, the defenders can pass well. They make smart choices. They're not going to turn the ball over, so you're going to wind up chasing a lot there. But the second pass, when you get it into the uh, the midfield outside of outside of Christian um, and maybe Nico, there might be some opportunities there. So kind of that that late press, you can probably get away with a high line because uh, there is no one that's fast on this team at all, anywhere. Um, so you can really comp- – when you can combine that, you know, that – that second pass press and a high line, you really compress that area and you can put eight players in this tight band right around the center line. And then you can spring in on the goal pretty quick at that point. And that's probably what I would do. Um, I'd also probably go at new who a lot. He, uh, he's a decent and somewhat speedy left back, but he's also prone to these really flashy, like he's almost the Clint Dempsey of defense, if that makes makes any sense. He will do the weirdest things, bicycle kick clearances. Um, he will pass it across his own goal mouth, uh, thinking that that's the right thing to do. Goes to ground a little bit too early. Um, will do stepovers in his own 18, mm-hmm. um, trying to dribble it out. So. You can go at him. He's young. He's energetic. He's so much fun to watch. And watching him mature has been enjoyable. But he's not there yet, and so you can probably go through that flank. If they start two right backs on the right side again, that's McCrary and Leardham, like they did against RSL, you can go at them just like RSL did because there's poor communication since they didn't have a lot of time to train that way. And then uh, you can exploit that flank as well, which – Corey Baird did a really good job at. All right, one you last don't have question. To score a lot. Like, if you score a goal, you're going to win. <laughs> I mean, We've, you need one goal. Dave, so far, everything you've said is something that, like, I think as a show, as a site, and as our listeners, I think we're all really familiar with uh, yeah. with where you're at. It sounds like it's like we're in a time machine, including um, the tone of your voice, the, just the defeated. Uh, aspect of it. We've been there. I don't know if this helps you. Um, it, it probably <laughs> doesn't. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> but, it, but it helps you guys. You're like, yay! <laughs> Seattle's down, finally! Um, <laughs> it gives us hope, but hope is a dangerous thing. Oh, yeah. That, hope's... Yeah, hope. <laughs> it's hard. Like, I, I mean, we've been spoiled. And you guys know this as, as much as anyone. Um, D.C. was very spoiled in the 90s and early 2000s. And Seattle was spoiled from day one until, I don't know if they were spoiled until this year because they've had long stretches of failure in the past, whether it's the latter half of 2015, early 2016, early 2017, and now early 2018. And I mean, these are like Toronto last year had four crappy games to start the best season of all time, right? This isn't four games. 11 now uh last year it was 13 2016 it was 16 17 18 so somewhere around there so you got so you got half a season um so you know it, it, it gets wary um but still even for all those long periods of, of dour play uh and an inability to win in the end, they wound up making the playoffs. In the end, they wound up winning an MLS Cup during a rebuilding year. They went back to MLS Cup with supposedly a better roster. Looked worse in the game, but they had a better roster than the one they won. So we're spoiled. We're at nine straight seasons in the playoffs. You know, for all the 10-hour out, he's the uh, majority owner, logger way out, Schmetz are out, um, an Adrian Hanauer owned team has only missed the playoffs twice. He's owned the version of the Sounders from 2002 to the present. Uh, a Brian Schmetzer led team has only missed the playoffs twice. No, wait, that might be wrong. That might, I might be counting this year. It might only be once. Might have just been 2000, oh, 2006 and 2008, something like that. Um, you know, Garth Lagerway here with the Sounders. Still, I haven't updated. Jeremiah hasn't updated the numbers, but as of like three weeks ago, had the fifth best record in the league from the time he took over until the present day. And yet, people want him out. They've won from 2014 to the present a Supporters Shield, an Open Cup, and an MLS Cup, and been in another MLS Cup. Twice looked pretty okay in the Champions League, and yet because of this level of success here, um, somebody is going to lose their job and fairly soon. And it might be multiple guys. Well, one last question before we get you out of here. Okay. Where, where, where is Amazon going to build HQ2? Oh, um, <laughs> let's see. My current favorite is that I think I saw Raleigh on that short list. Uh, I'm into the Raleigh, Chicago, or Toronto. Um, those are kind of the three that I think have the strongest. Uh, Toronto, because they can do some interesting things with work permits. A bunch of people who can't work in the United States could work there, and that would give them significant leverage. I like the Chicago plan just because it involves a 20,000-seat soccer stadium for the Chicago Fire <laughs> to ignore. Um <laughs> To become. And then Raleigh's interesting just because uh, the Carolina Tech Belt uh, doesn't have like a power player, but as a secondary 
area. They got plenty of colleges to feed it. And so it's probably one of those three. And the Carolinas have a, a Carolina has a, a strong history of bowing down to major corporations and giving them a lot more power than uh, other areas. And you took that question entirely more seriously than I expected. Thank you. And, well, and it's a big deal out here. Like, Oh, we're not yeah. going to get a hundred thousand more jobs. Um, in some ways good because uh, nobody can afford to live in the actual city anymore. Um, we've added in the past 10 years, something like 150,000 people have moved into the city of Seattle specifically and into the market. It's something like 600,000. And yeah, there's significant affordability issues. We're basically the San Francisco of the North. Um, Nobody can live here anymore. Nobody can drive anywhere. Uh, We have no infrastructure. So it's, it's been, yeah, you're going to get me on the other topic that'll make me morose (laughs) and hopeless. (laughs) That's, that's what we do here. One of the sites that DC has pitched is uh, mere yards from my front door. So uh, I, my wife and I have been closely following HQ2 just because it could have a very real impact on our lives. But the more immediate impact is, of course, soccer and the game on Saturday. Dave, thanks again for coming on the show. Tell our listeners, if you would, where they can find you on the internet. Uh, the best place if you want to find me for soccer is sounderheart.com or at sounderheart on Twitter. If you want to follow my personal account and get annoyed by D&D and beer talk, that's at better than, B-E-D-I-R-T-H-A-N. Um, yeah, those are probably the best spots to, to follow me. Sure. If you want to, if you want to see a uh, soccer fan crumble before your eyes, uh, a non DC soccer fan at that, which yeah, is, I, mean, I, I think your fans are already used to it. And I, you know, I'll be honest. I think most of the league is very excited to watch Seattle fail. Cause we, we haven't suffered like this before. And, uh, this year it's, uh, it started earlier and our patience is worn out and it's going to be uh it's going to be an interesting ride, although not a fun one. Well, I wish you luck on that ride though. It, it's going to be fun to watch uh, on the outside. Thank you all for listening. <laughs> Find us at black You can support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at black and red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the podcatcher of your choice. Please tell a friend about the show. Uh, For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Thanking Dave one more time. Say goodbye, Jason. Let's go, Caps. Let's go, Caps. The captain of his ship, who matched you toe to tip, was known for one cruelty.